tonight I'd like to talk about devotion. Devotion on the physical plane is pretty obvious. There are conventions that we can use, and this particular tradition has many of those. Every tradition has its set of conventions. In the tradition that we follow, we do prostrations. We do chanting. We do salutations. We give praise to that which we revere and to each other as a way of showing respect, affinity, concord, affection, and an honoring of each other's effort. And there's a very good reason why we do these things. If we were just to sit around casually the way you do in the kitchen over a cup of tea, sitting and meditating or trying to practice clearing the mind of all obstructions, it wouldn't go very well because the atmosphere around us is dusty and cluttered. So some of the reasons that we use these conventions are to simplify our external surroundings, to give us physical seclusion from our regular routine in life, and to establish um, sacred manners and sacred attitude and a stillness from without, like walking quietly, being very mindful in our movements, having a, a focal point where we all sit around and face in the same direction. If we all sat facing different directions, that wouldn't work. For any kind of gathering, people usually look in the same direction, give their attention in the same direction. All of these things help point us to what we'd like to do inwardly. Inwardly, the mind is pretty restless and all over the place because our life is like that. We have such a busy tempo and momentum. And we know from experience that if we try to practice in the middle of that kind of restless energy and confusion, that it won't last very long. We'll be interrupted all the time. The phone will ring. The fire alarm will go off, the smoke alarm. Somebody will honk their horn, the crow will call. There'll be many, many interruptions. Children will come bounding into the room, flopping down on your lap and demanding attention, or pets, or partners, or whoever it is, whatever it is, or colleagues, or bosses, hopefully not flopping at your lap. <laughs> but demanding attention. Uh, the printer won't work, the computer breaks down, you get a virus, you get a cold, you get bad news. You turn on the news, you get a lot of bad news. Then you feel depressed, the world is getting more crazy. How are you gonna keep going? The externals are really good excuses for not focusing inwardly. They just take us farther and farther from the stillness of our inner core. 
So we really need conventional structures that will create some sort of boundary from all of that and some way of settling ourselves and feeling good about the way we're settling rather than carrying our backpack of worldly problems with us into that little sacred space that we might be able to eke out of our existence. Coming to a place like this is so valuable because it's all set up. How wonderful. You walk into this spacious hall. You can't even really look out the window. There are fans for the heat. There are comfortable seats of various types. Every grade of cushion you can think of. (laughs) Floppy, more firm, small, wider, thicker, narrower. For all manner of body shapes and sizes and weights. It's so convenient. There's this magnificent Buddha statue carved from wood and imported from Japan. It's very inspiring to walk into this room and see all this. So we take our seats and there's there's a manner of walking in. We don't just come dashing in at top speed and flop down in our seats. We try to be very mindful the minute we walk in the door. And we bow. It's a kind of like a capital letter at the beginning of a sentence. We don't start our sentences with small letters. It's confusing. This is a new thought, a new moment to walk into this room. A little bow, I'm entering. It's a a moment of really pertinent mindfulness, and we can have opinions about it. But that's just our addiction, is having an opinion about everything positive, negative, neutral. But just do it. Try it. It's only a convention. It's not the path. It's not Nibbana. It's just a convention. Take it or leave it. But if we're here, just try it out. If it doesn't work, try again. Use it as a capital letter of a sentence. I'm in the room now. I have to be very mindful. That's a good thing. Because when we're walking from our kitchen to our living room, out the door to our car, to the bus, to wherever we are, we aren't that mindful. We're thinking a lot about the future, about the past, about what we have to do. Sometimes we don't even know how we got from A to Z or from A to C. We just suddenly manifest there. So how many moments of mindfulness have we missed? But here in the hall, when we take that little inclination towards the shrine, we're already heading to our meditation object. We already have this giant reminder to be mindful, to get into the body, to let go of our thinking. It's a little act of devotion. And devotion... I might be wrong, but it seems to come from the word, same word as the word vote. So it's like voting for what we love. We love the practice. It sustains us. 
it brings us the possibility of great insight, great peace, great benefit. We're not here for punishment. We're not here to thrash through all the ills of our life. We're here to take away the rubbish, to take out the rubbish once and for all, and leave it at the door. So coming into the room in that way symbolizes that possibility. Take away all the garbage, leave it at the door. Then we take our seats very mindfully, quietly, as much as we can, composed and with dignity. We wear appropriate clothing. We're not trying to show off the body at all. We're trying to go inwards and develop greater seclusion than even these walls offer us. And that's where the practice comes in. It gives us the ability to further seclude the mind from all the hindrances that are assailing us from the moment we wake up to the moment we fall asleep. And we sit in silence. There's no casual conversation. There might be some chanting. Another devotional practice. We chant words that are beautiful, uplifting, reverent. Chanted perhaps since ancient times, over and over. But there's no magic formula. There's nothing secret or mysterious about these conventions. They're just tools. We can pick them up and use them in a way that gives us a grand entrance into the present moment. But what we do from the time we close our eyes and sit with ourselves to the time we open our eyes and get up and leave, that's really where the meat of the practice is. So these conventions should not be taken for more than what they are. They are skillful means. They have a certain sacred quality just by association to the sacred act of giving our attention fully to the present moment. This is probably the most generous act that we can perform in our lives. And generosity is the fount, the really rock upon which this Eightfold Path is built, is based, can be established. So there's so much that goes on in the retreat center as in the monastery. You, you worried about conventions? Come, come live with us. We have a, a whole pantry full of conventions. And they are so valuable. So valuable. Wearing a robe, you don't even have to decide what to wear. It's the same color. I don't have any jeans in a drawer. Believe me. <laughs> it's, it's always the same garb. And you have to be very mindful to actually keep it on your body. There's no zippers, no conventional buttons, no straps. There's a few tags. But basically this is one big rectangular sheet and 
you have to keep holding on to it. If you don't, it'll just unravel, fall on the floor. Believe me, this happens. <laughs> it's very disconcerting, but we train for years to keep it on the body. And we shave our heads. In our monastery, we shave our heads once a week. This is, why do we do this? People always ask. It's to prevent or to avoid giving attention to beautification of the body. No hair, no hairdo. Well, some people think this is a hairdo. But basically, we're trying not to do anything with it. We don't dye it. We don't style it or shape it. We don't cut a swath through the middle and leave a little bit on the side. Nothing like that. (laughs) Just shave it off. And it's really an act, not against vanity, but away, taking away the emphasis from vanity to virtue clean head. So when the hair grows back, you shave it off. This is a good simile for the kilesas. You pay attention to the kilesas and they lie down, they disappear. But then as soon as you take your attention away and get distracted, they rise up again, they grow right back. So we have to keep shaving the kilesas in the heart again and again and again until we train our minds too bad it doesn't happen with the hair but this is a practice of non-vanity of going towards simplicity virtue cleanliness Uh, it's an act of reverence to the Buddha he shaved his head he wore robes in fact in this Theravadan style of robes, we tried to emulate the robe that the Buddha wore very precisely. We have many little patches that are all sewn together to specific proportions, representing the fields of Magadha, which the Buddha saw at one time, and he even said to Ananda, why not if we make the robes in the pattern of these fields, these rice paddies? So we actually wear the rice paddies of ancient times in our robes as a reminder that we're carrying this ancient tradition. And these ancient conventions actually give us a a sense of holding something precious, the most ancient monastic tradition on this earth. Twenty-six-odd hundred years old just as the Buddha sat and walked, we try to sit and walk. Of course, we don't have the mind of a Buddha, but we have the potential to completely eradicate the defilements of the heart. We have the potential to completely free ourselves from these hindrances, obstructions to freedom. And these hindrances are not who we are but they appear in the mind due to lack of training, due to ignorance. 
And the basic project is to take them away. It's a takeaway. In daily life, there's different takeaways. But the takeaways that you get don't really nourish you. Fast food, it's fast nourishment. It's, it's not the profound nutrition that we, that our bodies really need. And the taking away of the defilement is also, it's not fast. It's a process. It's sometimes tedious, uh, sometimes feeling uh, impossible. But the Buddha said, I do not teach anything that is impossible. If it were not possible, I would not teach it. So this is important for us to consider. And as monastics, our devotion to this teaching is very pronounced. It's pronounced, it's uh, full-hearted, it's every day, every night, 24-7. So our interest is in fulfilling this teaching and doing it with all our body and all our, our might, all our life. What more can you give to the teaching if not your life? But if we live as monastics without giving our hearts as well, just wearing the robe because it's a convention, we can wear it, we can look very good, we can go through the motions, but we're not actually, if we're not actually making an inner effort by giving our minds to the instructions and applying them day in, day out to what we're doing in the monastery, then it's, it's empty empty form and that happens so we have to be so mindful and so alert to how we're living even if we appear to be devoting our lives to this practice what does that mean that means that every day we try to examine how am I living am I worthy of the alms food that I receive every day people feed me Am I worthy of it? Do I really apply the practice moment by moment? Do I really try to train my mind? Or am I just living off the kindness of people because I wear a robe? It's a privilege to wear this robe. It is a privilege to live the monastic life in this tradition. But the way that we earn that privilege is by really examining our life day in and day out and keeping our precepts day in and day out fully not just vacuously not just uh, like the way you would punch a card when you go to work you put in the hours but you're just treading water there's no heart in it so that's why devotion means what is the heart actually doing? Is it rising up? Is it being uplifted? Or is it actually quite fussy 
and trying, trying one's best to manipulate the situation so we can get what we want, so we can have the nicest robes and the best food on the table, so that we use the conventions and the privileges given to us to gain from the situation rather than to serve and offer and give ourselves to the community, to those that support us, to transmitting the Dhamma in the best way we can. When we're young in the robe, just by learning and being attentive to the instructions. And then as we gain experience, sharing what we've learned. But not making a tail out of it. Growing the ego, so to speak. And trying to stick out or stand out in any way. That's not what it's about. Rather, we're trying to make the E go. Send it away. We can see from the results of how we use the convention how much attached we are to it. If somebody doesn't bow properly, do we get irritated? There's this really sweet story of three meditators. Two of them are practicing in the hall, and one of them comes in late makes a lot of noise, sits down, bows, and the others are sitting there having very negative thoughts about this one, the late one, critical thoughts. And the late one is just sitting, reciting in the heart these mantras and fully devoted to praising the teacher and practicing mindfulness. So, who is the real devotee in that case? Is it the ones that they were there on time, they're holding their posture, they look really good. But there's a lot of ill will. There's a lot of negativity towards their spiritual companion. What is that? We must be on guard how we hold ourselves, even if we hold these conventions perfectly, that is not the practice. That's only sitting at the shrine. Sitting at the shrine is not the practice. Bowing to the shrine is not even the practice. The practice is invisible. It's our own private work in the depths of our own hearts. Only we know what we're actually doing. And then we know the results of what we're actually doing. And we can see by the results, the state of our mind, whether we're applying the instructions or not. What are some of the other conventions that we use? Precepts. It's not enough to be inside a retreat center and spend 10 days in silence. Then we also take precepts. And the precepts are really the core the precepts help us to be pure externally and in relationship, and also in relationship to our own minds, because we have to be honest. The basic principle of integrity is are we truthful? 
to ourselves? Are we in denial or are we holding integrity towards our own minds, towards our own speech and action and thoughts? So there are precepts that govern speech and action, but there are also there's also a purification in thought, in intention. One kind of purification of intention is renunciation. So the way that we do it in thought is to give up unwholesome thoughts. It's very difficult to do. And how do we do even this most basic work inside the mind is with mindfulness. We have to shine that light of the Dhamma in our own minds and see what is going on in here. Is it rage? Is it dislike? What's the the temperature? Is it hot, cool, medium? Are we on the middle path or are we on either extreme? Wanting, not wanting. So if there is any ill will, if there is greed, if there is doubt, if there is restlessness, if there is tiredness, negativity, hostility, irritation, medium, small, overwhelming, whatever the state of the mind, we can renounce what is not beneficial and we can learn to bring in what is beneficial. This is the Buddha's instruction. It's right intention, but it's also translated into right effort. So what I'm picking up here is different limbs of the Eightfold Path. But of course, right mindfulness gives us right view to begin with. We have to have enough wisdom to pick up mindfulness and shine a light into the mind and that's what meditation helps us do otherwise we're just rushing around in life in confusion rushing through the events of life without wisdom without supports without even conventions that can steady us when terrible things happen or when we get overwhelmed like with power with wealth or with beauty, or with youth, or with health, or even with being alive. Because we can develop a lot of conceit around just being alive and having the freedom to do as we wish, not practicing any restraint at the sense doors. So shining the light of Dhamma helps us to see how mindlessly we can live without restraints, without precepts, without supports. The second kind of purification of intention, renunciation on a more physical and mundane level, is renunciation of self-indulgence. Self-indulgence can be on many levels, emotional, getting attention, luxuriating in what the world offers, in delights, in clothing, in food, sense pleasures of any kind, indulging in them, to excess for the sake of pleasure, to gratify desire. Now again, 
the way to counter that is through renunciation. And we have to start with the understanding of how intention can precipitate acts of renunciation to simplify and give up what we don't need. How many shoes? How many coats? How many hairdos? How many entertainments? How many exotic trips? The world is constantly dreaming up new ways of helping us indulge our senses. Do we need this? What will it do for us? What do we have in the end? More desire. It's never exotic enough. Just look at how people line up to get the latest model gadget, which means that the one that we lined up for two years ago is now obsolete. Doesn't that look a little foolish? Why can't we make our desires obsolete before they enslave us? This is what renunciation can help us to do, to give up the defilements, dangerous mind states, to give them up, to know them, to recognize them. And pretty much in the same line is giving up that which is violent, creating the intention never to harm ourselves or anyone else. We want to be pure from within. Then there's a radiance that shines out in all directions. And this comes from openly clearing out what needs to be cleared and what can be cleared. And then there's this sense of beginning again. When we sit down to meditate with a clear heart, we can go so deeply that much more quickly. And we might think that we're not doing anything. But we're already doing so much by the conventions that we keep. I never get tired of wearing the robe. I never get tired of chanting the precepts. I never get tired of bowing to the shrine. I feel that I can't bow enough because whenever I bow, I try to bow with a pure heart. And that's really difficult. Sometimes there's so many things going on in the day. We carry a lot of responsibility. You come to the shrine, you're bowing, and you're tired. I make a commitment to myself Every day when I bow, I'm going to be present for every bow. It's a practice. It's not just an empty convention. It's like, okay, where is my mind? There's this project that's not working. The lawnmower is broken. So-and-so is upset. Somebody just called up and they have cancer, and I feel their suffering. Mindfully bow in front of the shrine and pour out the contents of your heart right there on the mat and start from one breath, one simple bow. Present moment is empty. It's very difficult to do, to let all that exhaustion and involvement in life rest. But we need to rest. There's a lovely cartoon by Michael Munnick. 
what is worth doing and what is worth having. It's worth doing nothing. And it's worth having a rest. And by doing nothing, I think what he means is doing nothing from a place of ego. Doing nothing from a place of selfishness, of wanting. Doing nothing means just being. Being present for what is arising right now. Every day when we sit down to meditate, we have the opportunity to practice that. That's the only way that, as monastics anyway, we can get through the life that we lead. Because there is a lot of taking away of the rubbish day by day. So if it's like that for us, it must be like that in the household life. Even more urgently, we need to meditate every day. To constantly clear the mind, this practice is priceless. The precepts, our ability to give ourselves to the precepts, to practice generosity, to learn to concentrate the mind more and more, to practice right effort, hold our mindfulness in everyday life, and develop the wisdom to live with more attention, more simplicity, more gratitude, more contentment, more renunciation, more determination to stick to the path, then we can rescue ourselves. We can really apply the Buddha's instructions. This is not a teaching of external salvation. It's a DIY project. No one can do it for us. The Buddhas point the way. And we ourselves have to walk it one step in front of the other. It's the high road, but we can walk this high road. We just have to follow the signs which point in one direction only, towards Nibbana, not towards the world. And then there's the world. Every sensory experience that is being offered up has been exaggerated because our taste buds are hyped up from getting so much impact. People are no longer content with ordinary pleasures. They want the most exotic pleasure possible. From out of the deluded mind can come the craziest things, like jumping off cliffs with a parachute. I I, I don't even know what what people do anymore. Contentment is no longer a virtue. In the holy life, contentment is one of the most important virtues. To be content with little. So sila samadhi panya. In every moment of mindfulness, sila is fulfilled. Purity is fulfilled. This is how we complete the Eightfold Noble Path every moment that we sit to meditate, if we apply our minds. 
even if we think nothing is happening, just by intending, by giving ourselves for one moment to this path, to this practice, to this intention, to this shrine, to this hall, to this group, to this spiritual energy that we're creating here. This is already a moment of purity, of purification, a path intention, a path purification, a path concentration, a wisdom. We have some wisdom already, and we're developing it. There's a wonderful saying. If you bring forth what is within you, that which is within you will save you. If you do not bring forth that which is within you, that which is within you will destroy you. So I leave that for your contemplation tonight. Sad. 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 Sad.